I bring you greetings from Adam Road. And uh, brothers and sisters there are still doing the same thing, as you know. For those who are new, we are doing a series of studies on the Psalms, on the book of Psalms. And today, we'll be looking at Psalm 77. So, how many of you have heard of James McQuiskey, a.k.a. Nightbird? Hands up. Okay, not, not many of you. You all don't watch American Got Talent. Or maybe you have not read, it, read uh, the story of James McCluskey. Let me then briefly tell you. Now, her story is one of despair, disappointment and doubt. How so? As a young woman, barely the age of 30, she had three bouts of cancer. And that three bouts of cancer we found in her lungs, her spine and liver. And they were terminal. And that's a mouthful, don't you think? to go through this. And doctors gave her 2% chance of survival, which actually works out to be about six months since she has been diagnosed on New Year's Eve 2019. And so by calculation, she would have until June 2020. As if it wasn't enough to contract terminal cancer, her husband divorced her, saying he didn't love her anymore. And her body and soul, can you imagine? Her body, her soul, her spirit, all were crushed. It was wrecked with grief. And honestly, if I were to ask you, what would you do if you are in her shoes? And if you are a Christian, perhaps what doubts might you have about God? Agree? Is God really good? Is God that all-powerful? Is God really there? Now, all are valid and reasonable questions to us, right? Well, I hope you can find some answers to this doubt we might have from Psalm 77 when we go through the rough and tough patches of life. But before we plunge into Psalm, perhaps a helpful explain the historical context of the Psalms or the Psalmist. Now, this Psalm, as you know, is included in Book 3. So if I were to ask you, how many books are there in the Psalms? There are five books, and this is right smack, okay, five books. Psalms, book three of Psalms, it covers from Psalm 73 to 89. And just an overview on the slide. It tells us that Psalm 73 states that while Israel is in exile, the wicked prosper. The wicked probably are the Babylonians. And thereafter, Psalm 74, the temple was, was desecrated, was destroyed, and now in ruins. And then Psalm 89, that the Davidic monarchy is no longer, as with the word, his crown, in the dust. Now please note that all these trees are markers to identify the Jewishness of God's people. So who is the one that wrote Psalm 73 to 89? Largely, just written by Asaph. And Asaph, as we know, serves in the temple. And if you are serving in God's temple back then, what does that make you? It makes you to be a Levite, our modern-day version of perhaps a singer-song leader, right? Now, it is obvious that he was the ancient blues man who plays and sings the blues which, with much candor and rawness of his soul. 
Now, if you don't know anything about the blues, it is almost associated with feeling of sadness, tension, bewilderment, doubt, betrayal, and perhaps the yearning for resolution even. How many of you listened to blues before or now? None? Not many, right? And you know blues, right, apart, besides jazz, as compared to jazz or pop, blues are mainly very, very down and very dismal and very dark. It's always singing about the loss of someone, the loss of a wife, loss of a baby, loss of a spouse, loss of relationship. So all those things that mix up a blues. So in Psalm 77, this is what we see. And that's what Asa was singing as he leads the people while grieving in, while grieving in, crying out. Why is that? Because of the emotional and spiritual state he is in. It could either be a national or personal disaster that he is lamenting. We do not know specifically from the Psalms, right? But it covers everyone, perhaps. I'm sure everyone sees that he has gone through troubled times before. Whether you're a teen, whether you're a young adult, whether you're a working adult, whether you're a parent, whether you're grandparents, am I right or not? True? Perhaps maybe before you coming into the hall, you're just having a tea with your spouse. With regards to what? With regards to a burnt toast. Trivial, we might think, but it happens. right? It troubles your soul. You can't sit here and listen to me. You can't sit here and listen to God's word. Now, when COVID-19 hit, right, and it's a global pandemic in 2020, next slide. Now, many have lost their loved ones, have lost their jobs, and the whole world turned into a turmoil. We may even encounter other painful moments like a personal betrayal, a deadly diagnosis like cancer, or national crises like we are hearing and witnessing now, like wars, tensions of sanctions, and flooding of recent times because of climate change. All these may make one doubt if ever there be any help. So in India, as you know, is the second largest hit country with COVID. A fellow brother in Christ, his name is Ramesh, he lost three family members to the deadly virus. They are his brother, father-in-law, and a very close cousin. Many of their non-believing relatives question his faith, or their faith, his wife, him and his wife's faith. Why did God allow your father, brother, and cousin to die? Why did he allow you to get even COVID when you are doing all these things for him? These are just some of the barrage of questions he and his wife received. Can you imagine the physical and emotional state Ramesh and his wife have been going through at that time? Now, Asaf is distressed and he's crying out. Now, who is he crying out to? Please note, it is God. It is not the doctors, it is not the lawyers, it is not the counsellors, it is not neither the chaplains nor the pastors, nor any professionals first. To him it would be probably the prophets, priests or kings or elder statesmen, I suppose, back in Asaph's time. But he cried out to God. For what? He cried out to God to hear and to help when God who should have been there is not there. When he is so, so needed in their moments of doubt and distress. So in an interview Ramesh did with Salt and Light, 
a Christian magazine here in Singapore, he says this, In the midst of all this, if we leave the presence of God, we won't find any answers. This is not the time for us to stop seeking God. Let us cry to God, each one of us in our own context, and God will deliver us. Now, that is exactly what Asaf did. So much so, he took it to the Lord in prayer as suggested by, as suggested by the outstretched hands, even at night. And some thought even he suffered insomnia, or he himself, Asaf, blames his insomnia on God because God was the one who kept his eyes open. And not only that, he was stricken dumb as in too troubled to speak. But actually, his soul refuses to be comforted. Why? Because somehow, what he remembers about God and his past mercies it just intensifies the present perplexity that he's experiencing. God is there, yet not there. That makes it a very that makes it very puzzling. So he is so anguished over God's apparent inaction when God seems to fail to respond to unceasing and urgent prayers. It makes Asaph groan and weak till he can't sleep, can't speak. That's like taking the song out from the singer. Somehow, somehow he manages to muster every ounce of energy from his heart and spirit to remember his song, Asaf's own song in the night. About what? About the good old days of long ago, about the God old days of long ago. So to remember his songs, in Hebrew is called Negedna, it refers to a time when instrument was played in public worship. And so he remembered the days that makes his heart so happy that he started singing songs of long ago, celebrating God's mighty deeds for his people, which the Israelites might sing in public or private, for their own encouragement, for the edification of others, and also to bring comfort to one another. These were the glory days, the good old days that he remembers. That's why he's saying, let me remember my songs in the night and let me meditate in my heart. But you know what? It didn't help Asaf one bit as his spirit inquired in him asking the six questions. What exactly could he suggest about God? Next slide. Will the Lord reject forever? Is he saying, God, is God unsparing? Will God never show his favor again? Is God uns un unsympathetic? Has God's unfailing love vanished forever? Is God unloving? Has God promised fail for all time? Is God a deal breaker? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Is God uncaring? Has God in anger withheld his compassion? Is God unforgiving? 
What do you all think of the questions above suggest about God? When Asa walks down memory lane, it is just that. Memory, or for that matter, distant memory. So when Asa thinks back of the time that it was good, well, those were the good old days, but it is not for the present day. Because he's not experiencing the Lord's mercy, love, and all that is mentioned now today. Is it the Lord's favour in days gone by? Or is it the Lord's favour for now? Wouldn't this be true of us when trouble comes our way? We ask questions like, has God given up on me? Or is God mad at me? And not only is he mad at me, but will he continue to be mad at me forever and ever and ever? Now you see why Asaf says that I groan when he remembers God. That he is too troubled to speak. This is perhaps the reasoning that is going through Asaf's emotions. So what is Asaf going through right here? He's questioning God. You say you are mighty and merciful, but it seems that you are puny and meany. He's questioning what? He's questioning exactly God's character, His favour, His unfailing love, His promise, His mercy and His compassion. Perhaps he has issues with the unchanging God has actually changed. And that's why in verse 10, an appeal to God's right hand in the past is voiced. Now the appeal to the right hand of God can be understood as determined to remember God's power. It is symbolic of what? It's symbolic of strength of God. But I back to differ. I take another. I take another understanding. I take another approach, because in the in Hebrew, can I have the slide on? In Hebrew, the word appeal, as in appears in our modern day translation, most of it, the word appeal isn't there. It says here in Hebrew, specifically, this is my grief, that the right hand of the Most High has changed. So it gives you, it gives me a different spin. And that's why the division is such that it's from verse 1 to 10, because verse 1, he was already crying, right up to verse 10, because why? To him, God has changed, even though he has thought of his past and all. His own needs. So God, whom he knows to be unchanging to him right now in the verse, first 10 verses, he has changed. Simply said, Asaf is saying what grieves him is the fact that God truly and indeed has changed. And that's what bothers Asaf. Because then all the question mentioned is then true of God's character, isn't it? At least to Asaf, who cannot sleep, who cannot speak, but must have in his heart, in asking God, you like that now, God? Really? Now when Asaf is at his lowest in spirit, like the saying goes, when you hit rock bottom, the only place left to go is, is up. And this turning point comes from verses 11 and following. We shall read, I will remember the deeds of the Lord, yes, 
I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. So apparently, Asap has not given up yet. Still got hope. While his question may raise his doubts about God's character, here he seems to say, hey, hold on, hold on. And look to God from a different angle. And indeed, he changed lenses, and we can see that in verses 13 and following. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. So what is Asaf saying here? Literally, it will be that God's way is unlike any other. Holy means separate and sacred. God's character, God's nature, God's action are not are just not like others. And as he looks back to compare, Asaf realizes there's no other pagan gods that can come close to this covenantal God. None. Nada. And that helps him. That helps him what? That helps him to stop navel-gazing. So what is the posture of navel-gazing? The posture of navel-gazing is always to look down. But now that his lenses have changed, where is he looking? Where is God in our minds? God is up there. Lah. So don't look down. Look up. So that's what helps him to stop navel-gazing, refocus his lenses to a sharper definition of who God is. And by doing so, it leads him to acknowledge the might and the miracles of God to redeem his people. Seems like Asab is correcting himself for using the wrong lenses previously, thinking that God changes, but when he gave it deeper thought about the facts rather than one's feelings, you can be sure you'll be boasted and spirited and that you'll find in your heart strengthened and your spirit resolves. And the facts are that God took care of his people then. He will likewise take care of his people now. That means his love has not changed for his people. And we see that facts as in God took care of his people then. Where? In the pronoun. So count with me. The eyes, okay? How many eyes do you think are there? You count. It's all there. Twelve. Twelve eyes. How many U's? Seven U's. So his lenses have changed. That was Asaf. I, 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 me and myself. I call it the unholy trinity. But when you look to God, it's the Holy Trinity. So this helps us, this tells us that Asaf has moved on from getting stuck to himself, his issues, his troubles, his eyes, to making it to be about God. This way of seeing things makes all the difference. And finally, Asaf gets his answer to his doubts. And this is where he goes on to the crowning moment of God's salvation story of Exodus, where God delivered his people from Egypt and bring them through the Red Sea. Asaf is saying here that if God can bring his people through the 
The Red Sea, a bunch of slaves who are mainly construction workers or farmers, being chased by the most powerful army of the world, then surely, God, you can do that for me too. Now I can rest. Now I can sleep. Now I am comforted. Now I remember you were there when the waters grieved. You were there in the clouds. You were there in the thunder. You were there in the lightning. You were there in the trembling of the earth. You were there leading through the sea. You were there even though your footprints were not seen because you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And we know that the leading the people like a flock is the language of what? It's the language of shepherds. Shepherds care for their flock, rest them, nourish them, provide and protect the sheep from dangers. This would tell us the spiritual lessons of a relationship between shepherds and sheep. It reveals to us also the covenantal relationship that God has with his people. And though the footprints were not seen, the psalmist, Asap, recognized God's hand in it. This psalm could end with mighty words, since the power and majesty of God is played out in nature. Yet we see that all the might of God is balanced with the compassion of God. Might and mercy Meekness and majesty is the characteristics of God. He doesn't change. So Asap, in recalling, gets clarity and comfort to his doubts. And the New Testament equivalent is for us to look back to who? To look back to the event of the cross, that which is to look back at Christ. And so, there are about one, two, three, four, five, six New Testament verses for us to look back to. And that is taken from Hebrews chapter 3. And what Hebrews chapter 3 is all about, the writer of Hebrews he actually exhorts his reader to consider Christ, who in his faithfulness over God's house, as God's Son, it's more worthy of glory than Moses, who, has faithful, who was faithful over God's house as a servant. And that is the big differentiation or distinction between Moses, whom God uses right, to lead his people, but now in the New Testament, we have Jesus. Moses was a servant. Jesus is a son. He says we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. That is found in Hebrews 3.6. And not to harden our hearts like the Israelites in the Exodus. But more than our personal holding fast, we also owe it to one another to take care of others in God's house who may have evil and unbelieving heart leaving them to fall away from the living God. He, chapter 3, verse 12 of Hebrews. 
Now, as Christians today, we have more reasons to find hope for the future as we can look back to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. So through Jesus, God has delivered us by a second and greater exodus. But that does not mean that Christian faith is doubt-free. True? So please, you can be honest and raw and vulnerable and exposed to the one whom you believe, God. Don't hold it back. It will only hurt you and harm you in more ways than you can imagine. You go to God first. And then there is God's family that is given to you. Having doubts doesn't mean that you do not believe in God or in Christ. Would then, would then it be that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, say, Eloi, Eloi, lama, sabachthani, means to say that he doesn't believe in... No. All the more in his suffering, God is close to him. So you can be like the psalmist. We can be like the psalmist when we go through truly periods where we are struggling because we recognize we are human. We go through pain. We go through suffering. We go through experiences that is so unfavorable. And sometimes even you, you cannot speak. You cannot put words. There is no vocabulary in the dictionary for you to express that pain of yours. There is an outlet. The psalmist tells us, there is an outlet. And the outlet is to look up, not to always look down. I think instinctively and naturally, when we are hurt, we always look inward. Right? Fair. Understand. But if you and I are Christians, if you and I are believers of Jesus Christ, then the ultimate and epitome of our faith and model would be the one on the cross, but no longer on the cross. Because if he's no longer on the cross, that gives us hope. The pain that you and I go through is real. I don't deny it's not real. But look at the cross, my friend. Don't keep looking and don't navel-gaze your issues and problems. I tell you the risk and the dangers of doing that. It will spiral. And if you're not careful, you'll go down the deep dark. What hope we have as Christians is already there. We need to journey this because this is a temporal world we are living in, a broken world. And therefore, sickness, sin and death is only real. More real than that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? So the Christian community can be a safe place for believers to share our fears and our doubts in big or small groups or even one-to-one -one, so that we can generally support one another in love. So the context of Hebrew, as, I've, as we have used Hebrew as... Um, New Testament passage to look back on Christ. It is to exhort the believers back then 
to look to Christ only and not to look elsewhere. For them, it's not to go back to Judaism. For us, it's not to look to anything or anyone that takes us away from the centrality of Christ in your life and in my life. And so what does it mean to us? In implication, if you have forgotten what I've said, perhaps you can remember this acronym, Creed. So just like the psalmist did, he cries out to God. You're in pain, cry out to God. And oftentimes when I visit people who are in the hospital or when they are ill or when they receive really, really bad news like terminal illness, oftentimes I don't know what to say, you know, because my words will fall short. And sometimes I, I think instead of being helpful, it's... So the only thing I can offer is to be there, to sit down or even to read God's word. So if anything goes wrong, I'll say it's God's word, it's not my word. No lah, I'm kidding. But you know what I mean, right? So for all this say, please, you can always come before God, vulnerable. You can express it in ways that God is big enough to take even your nonsense. Because God understands what you are going, through, what you have gone going through or have gone through. All you and I need to do is to look at the cross. He doesn't understand. Come on, lah. One and only Son there. So cry out, cry out to God. In crying out to God, because why? We it tells us, and it's very indicative that we have a relationship with Him. True or not? You can always go and cry out to somebody else, ma. You don't need to go and cry out to God, ma. You don't need to cry out, Jesus, Jesus, please help me. No, you don't need to. So that established our relationship with Him. It's important. And as a family of Christ, even with me, by just sitting there and listening to you, ranting, blaming, complaining, Accusing even. And that's a form of encouragement. Do you know that? According to psychologists or even counsellors, just be there. You want them to know that you are available. You don't need to tell them anything. But of course, we always offer Jesus. We always remind them, look to your past. And I'm sure if you are Christians, every one of us seated here would have our exodus moments, right? For me, very, very clear. I don't know how many of you knows that I've got a heart problem just late last year. I almost, I almost gone. And so a lot of people have prayed for me, from the leaders of the church to those I ministered and to those who knows outside from the college people who heard about my situation. God hears their prayer. God hears their cries. God hears their interceding. But the greater intercessor is Jesus Christ. And I'm here today sharing with you as much as I know how to, that it is worth journeying with Jesus, even it is worth suffering, just like what Jesus has gone through. 
And by that, we are to encourage one another. Keep on, brother. Keep on, sister. Look to Jesus. Our problems, sufferings are momentarily. Yes, when we go through pain, it's never momentarily. I've been there myself. But it's always on high side. Why is it always must be on high side then we? Now I pray that we practice the presence of Jesus. We practice the presence of God. That even in the midst of our suffering, we take heart, we take comfort. And we can encourage one another. And not just to encourage one another weekly. Not just to encourage one another, what? Twice a year? Easter? Christmas, but the words of the Hebrews is to encourage one another as it is called today. So when is today? Yesterday was today. I mean, in the sense, if you are live yesterday, today is today. Tomorrow is going to be also today. So meaning to say, we are to encourage one another every day. That's where we get our, we get our what? We get our momentum. We get our inspiration. Because when we see fellow brothers, we see fellow sisters journeying together with us, it is very, very heartening and very, very comforting and very, very assuring. Right or not? Don't journey that journey alone. That's what I'm saying. You have God, you have God's people. And lastly, from Hebrews 3.14, if Christ, and with Christ, if we hold firmly from beginning till end, just tells me that it is our discipling or our discipleship. You have started, you have cried out to God, meaning to say you have, you may not know, you have already acknowledged that this is a person who can help. But because we are going through that pain, we are going through that suffering, it makes no sense, but we still come back to Him. Meaning to say, we keep on going. And that is the true mark of a disciple. So I just want to encourage you all. If we go through any season of life like, this, like the psalmist, take heart, take comfort, be assured. That God knows what you have gone through or going through. So let me end with the early example of Nightbird. We know that she has contracted terminal illness and she didn't sugarcoat her sufferings, but she clings on to God. And so in one of her blogs, she said this, Maybe we missed it. What God showed us when he first introduced himself that he will crawl into the dirt to be near us and he will fill our lungs with air where we don't know how to breathe. Now in context, she said that God created and gave breath. And even as she is fighting for breath herself, to her, God never left her but was with her. So as Christians, may God help our faith in Christ. 
But these truths and promises are good for God's people, but not others. A very unkind thing to say, perhaps, but it's the truth. For people who do not believe in Jesus, people who hasn't given their life to follow after Jesus, you cannot, you cannot hold on to this because the Lord isn't leading them now. Because they have not followed Him, so they cannot hold on to God's faithfulness and goodness. But isn't this the gospel invitation as well? Where at one point in time we are like that? That wherever we are in life's journey, the Lord can begin to lead us wherever we are in our trouble. We can latch on to Jesus, latch on to the Good Shepherd. And He can lead us out. If you only call on Him, Jesus. Call on Him to save and call on Him as Lord.